When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Before we get started this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then the Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Back everybody to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 424. Going to continue on with our fantasy prep for the 2022 season. Always looking back a bit, looking forward, trying to find some new niches to get us where we need to go to win some fantasy goodness in the 2020, 2020, 2020, 2022 season. It's uh, it's early out here and uh, it's still kind of the holiday days, so we're we're plugging along. But I have a special guest with me today. Uh, you can find his work at PitcherList.com. He's also on the PitcherList Podcast Network with the Study Hall Podcast with the one and only Alexander Chase. He's also a part of Triple Play Fantasy, the good boys over there that are very, like, Pitcher List and Triple Play, great friends of the show. Like, all, all these guys have been on pretty much. So, uh, awesome people there. But you can find him, all his work over there. He's on Twitter, at the court Matt. Matt Goodwin, how are we doing, my friend? I am doing very well. I, uh, I'm very excited to be here. And uh, as we were talking off air, I totally messed up our first attempt at this uh, with the whole AM, PM, West Coast, East Coast time uh, zone situation. So my apologies and my gratitude for uh, the door still being open and me coming back on and talking some some fantasy baseball. If I could get mad at people for changing the times, then I would never be on a show either. So it's, a, it's just it's the way it goes. We live in <laughs> the beauty of podcasting is we can do it from anywhere. The 
pains of podcasting is sometimes time changes and all kinds of communication is not always the best. It just, it happens. It's no biggie. Yeah, it's, the, it's the world we live in. So uh, you can ask Nick Pollock about that actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very much uh, a situation, but with, um, you know, 2020, 2020, I can't talk to 2021 in the books and uh, 2022 yeah. coming up. What do you, what, what do you got working on these days? We're going to go over some of your recent work at triple play, but uh, like, what do you got cooking that you can plug your podcast, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, if you it will indulge me for a moment, I'll back up a little bit and talk a little bit how I got into it uh, as yeah. an outsider when I was an outsider. It still feels weird to talk about being an insider. <laughs> uh, I, it was I was always curious about that, so I, you know I kind of got into picture lists to uh, with like some whimsical stuff, um, and and joining the We Love Baseball. Uh, uh, part of the site um it's one of the coolest things about pitcher list is that they've got something for everybody if you just really like baseball there's baseball content if you're really into fantasy there's fantasy content if you want the deep dives there's there's deep dive stuff and um you know i was kind of brought into to do the we love baseball the 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 goofier side the quirky side the fun side and uh you know i through my work with alexander chase on dugout study hall it's it's really brought me into to more of the the analysis side which I just I wasn't ready for at the beginning, to be honest, and, and I don't mind being honest about that. Um, and so what I've what I have now is kind of I do the, the we love baseball stuff at Pitcher List um, in our offseason content. We just did like an award series where we we took like silly names and we, instead of the rookie of the year, we gave out the Wookiee of the year for the guys with the best beards and, uh, you know, some some fun stuff. There were about six of those. We put those out, um, you know, and that is fun. It's fun to, to, to look Baseball at the should be fun. things. Exactly. And we're all yeah. in this for that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. And, uh, you know, I had gotten in and, and Nick was going to start his podcast network. I, I got in at the right time, I guess. And I said, you know what? I, I did this on a whim. I'll do that too. And and got paired up with Alexander, who if, if you don't know Alexander Chase's work, you definitely should check it out, whether it's on the podcast or, or on Pitcher List. Uh, what he knows about numbers and statistics, um, it, it's it's mind-boggling. He, he he can read them and talk about them, you know, like like I pick up a, a dictionary and read definitions. He just gets it, and uh, it's it's really interesting. And my role there is basically ask questions. Like I don't know that I understand what you're saying, so how can I use this and and use information that way? And uh, I'm very excited to be a new member of of Triple Play and and really kind of spreading my wings there more from the analysis side. Um, so that's what I've been diving into and and trying to look at. We don't have a ton of information. There's not a lot going on. We got the lockout blocking a lot of moves and deals. And uh, so trying to look at what we can see, uh, some steamer stuff and, uh, you know, looking at some stats from from last year and, and looking back and, and trying to take a different spin. You know, anybody that's doing this, you know, they're using stats that have things baked in pros and cons and uh, over and undervalued and trying to just look at some different things, put it out there to generate discussion and, uh, you know, see see what happens yeah that's the that's the hardest part of this is a there's so many people doing content but it's great content and so it's it's like how do you be different without using the same thing all the time and like you said there's pros and cons to so many stats out there like there's the the x stats that some people say are kind of worthless but then there's a little validity to them so it's like sure. there's it's you you can kind of use everything uh to make stuff work so it's kind of interesting in that regard but um yeah i'm with you it's the lockout, I still believe there's going to be a season where it's kind of going through the yeah. motion right now, unfortunately. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But, um, yeah, let's talk about some of the stuff you talked about. You mentioned we Absolutely. can use Steamer, and that's, a, that's the first projection site out there. You know, you're going to have the back coming up, and then Ariel will have ATC. You'll have mm-hmm. more and more toys to play with that kind of keep us yeah. busy through this time. <laughs> right. 
But um, with Steamer right now, it's it, it's a fascinating article you wrote because um, Phil Dusso, the robot who just dominated NFBC last year, his biggest thing was how could I project playing time, and right. that was and obviously he has not let the secret sauce out, and I don't blame him at all. But <laughs> he found a way that worked for him, and it worked very well last year. Could it, you know, there's always probably going to be falters because that's just the human element. But he found ways where he could project what he felt to be confident in playing time. And as we say, playing time, because that means at bats, which means more accumulating stats. That's what you want, obviously. Right. Um, so it's a very tricky thing. But you, you wrote an article about looking at Steamer's projections for playing time. So kind of what was the gist that you were digging into there? Because it was kind of interesting when you did look at it. You know, some guys, they projected for like 120 games. Like guys, I just wrote an article on Dalton Varshaw. I'll let you have the floor here in a second. Yeah, um, no problem. They haven't projected for 95 games. I'm sorry, yeah. but unless he gets hurt, he's playing either the outfield or catching, I think, a lot more than 95 right. games. And so, you know, you can look at the projections, but you have to, like, look at it and go, okay, well, what do I, what do I think? Like, how do I project it? And there's the Steamer 600s, of course, where kind of gives a blanket line to everybody. You can kind of use somewhat. But when you did this article, what were you looking at with the Steamer projections? Well, I mean, exactly what you were talking about in that there was a lot of chatter in the fantasy community about maximizing, uh, you know, at-bats played appearances, innings pitched. Um, if you look at one of the things I put in there, I tried to make it um, user-friendly because math is, certain. like I said, that's that's Alexander's area. Uh, so trying to, to make the point that, you know, if you've got a, a set of data, and you want that data to, the, the average of that data to increase. So like, say you're looking at a batting average you might want to go get the guy that has a higher batting average. Makes sense. If that guy is going to contribute far less uh, uh, plate appearances, you actually might be better off with a player who has a slightly lower batting average that is going to contribute that slightly lower number more often because it's it's going to have a greater impact on bringing up your average in, in your category. So, uh, you know, trying to look at things like that um, and, and what Steamer said. And I, I didn't really go in knowing what I wanted the end result to be. It was more like, I'm curious about this and let's see where it goes. And, and that's kind of where it took me. Um, you know, they have uh, game projections as well. They don't go any more than 150 on, on any player, but they do seem to not have a max out on plate appearances. So that's kind of where I went. Um Again, on, on Dugout Study Hall, we talk a lot about looking at things on a, a plate appearance or a per plate appearance uh, basis. So, uh, you know, with all those things bouncing around in my head, that's where I, I kind of dove in. And uh, I wanted to see where it seemed like it made sense and where it didn't. You know, you look at somebody like uh, Tatis, and they have him projected for a full season and every plate appearance he could possibly get. I'm not sure that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, now, to be fair, they also have home run projections and, and things like that that look to be pretty in line with what he accomplished in a shorter season last year. So, um, you know, it, again, I, I want to just stop for a moment and say I don't think there's anything wrong with Steamer. I think oh, it's just the yeah. nature of projection systems, right? You're going to put something out there and it's going to have it, its places where it's a little fuzzier and it's going to have its places where it's it's nice and, and clear and clean and crisp and and it's all humans guessing about human behavior. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it's always just kind of a starting point. And right now it's the only game in town, like you said. So we are all looking at it. It's, it's what we've got to, to kind of uh, dissect and go through. But, you know, there's some interesting things that, that I put into the piece that, that came up, like uh, uh, Julio Rodriguez projected to play zero games with one plate appearance. 
yeah. uh, and a 117 WRC plus. So, you know, like th- those systems, if you look at the outliers, you look at the extremes, you look at those yeah. things, sometimes it tells the story of where things are accurate and where they're not accurate. And then you can use that to, to try and, and better understand what it is that you're looking at more in the middle. Uh, so that's what I was trying to accomplish was, was maybe this is a way of looking at what steamer is going to say or, or what future systems are going to say to try and, and follow the path of those grinders who are, who have that figured out and, and have maximized plate appearances and, and one leagues. Yeah. Cause there's always like the angle you could say, okay, the leadoff guy, I know Jeff Zimmerman has done great work on it. Like every step down the bag and over order throughout a season, you're losing X amount of at bats and it makes total sense. So that's why you, you know, you even target like the Adam Frazier's of the world. Cause Oh, he leads yeah. off and he might not help you there, but he's going to bat. That's why everybody loved Marcus Simeon before he went big. Mm-hmm. He's leading off. He's going to hit like 700 plate appearances every year. And yeah. you can find a way to make that work for your fantasy team. Even though he wasn't like elite like he is now, it still worked all those plate appearances because it gives you extra chances for the runs, the RBIs, yada, yada, yada. I like the point you mentioned about maybe taking a guy with a slightly lower batting average, but over a longer period of time, because like for layman terms, it makes sense. If you're just doing any kind of statistics, if you're taking the basics of statistics, the bigger the sample size that that number, the the other impacting numbers basically aren't going to move it as much. That's, that's yeah, like right, the easiest right. way I can say it to like make it simple. Whereas if you have like that high batting average, but a smaller sample it's much more volatile. And so that's where it is interesting the way you mentioned that. Cause you know, sure you can go and get your, you know, let's see um, who was like, say you do draft Bobby Witt, but yeah. he plays in a hundred games and he right. hits three twenty. That's great. That's really, really good. But at the same time, that's just like if he doesn't hit 320, say he hits 220, it's the impacting differences are, are, are much sure. Much different. But and even if he does hit 320 over 100 games, somebody who hits 290 over over, you know, uh, 150 could actually bring your your, you know, roto category batting average up more. It, it yep. sounds a little counterintuitive and I haven't obviously run the numbers on that particular example. That might not work out, but the theory is there. And no, the theories um, are for sure. Yeah. And it comes, my day job is teaching and, you know, thinking about point values for kids assignments. And, you know, this is, this is a, a 10 point assignment. That's a 50 point assignment and getting them to understand that in the grade book, you know, the letter grade that's there is not of equal weight. So the same sort of concept, uh, yes, you know, the, the more weight something has, the more impact it has, even if it's uh, maybe a slightly low, lower number. No, and that, that's, that's why it's a good talking point. Cause I think we focus so much on the numbers. Now, sure, home runs, runs, RBIs, that, that's the number. That you're getting what you're yeah, getting. Right, right. But these ratio stats, it's a good point. Even like you could transition it to pitchers with ERA. Like the guy, yep. if he has a 3.7 ERA, but he throws you 190 innings, like that's pretty darn good compared to the guy with a 3.2 over like 100. Like there's like so many differing factors there that makes a lot of sense with what you're saying over the grand scheme of things that I think maybe I always talk about it with Toby is, um, you know, the, to be a really good fantasy player, you have to be able to change your thought process and there's like yeah. when we break down certain players and we're doing like our reviews right now the whole reason i wanted to do reviews is you see guys that actually had really good years that you just like whoa how did that happen well maybe i should look at this more and be like he's actually done this for three straight years maybe right. i should start not looking so much about this problem that i thought he had that was preventing him and look at hey he's actually a pretty good ball player and yeah, this the is kyle seager effect yeah exactly <laughs> so it's just yeah. like you got to kind of be willing to adjust, and that's where, like, okay, let's look. Let's not go for this guy. It's really, really awesome, but he's going to throw 100 innings and do this. Let's look at that workhorse. Like, you know, he's. I don't. I honestly don't think Adam Wainwright's doing it again this year. Yeah. But for so many years, if you're getting 100, like 160 plus Adam Wainwright innings, those are always like 
pretty good innings, but we always clowned on him because he was old and boring. And yeah, it's like, right. Those are guys you draft late and like look at the when he does peak, look what he just did. Now, is he going to peak often? No, but it's those kind of little things when you're building your team. He's kind of, I don't know. That's why I try not to take too many flashy plays, but you know, everybody has some fun because it's, it's supposed to be fun. As we yeah, said, right. You want to go get your guys too. I think, you know, the, the idea of what's more likely is a good philosophy to have um, when you're, you're talking about drafts, especially. Uh, and, and I think we're, we'll get into talking a little bit more ADP stuff later on, uh, I think. But if you're looking, especially at opportunity cost for high volatility players, I think that's something that's also a little bit of a, maybe a market inefficiency in terms of what people talk about. And that's really where this plate appearances thing comes from. There's, there's really not a lot of market inefficiencies left. There's a lot, as you said, a lot of content, a lot of people doing really great work. There's not a lot of, of uh, angles that somebody hasn't thought of at this point uh, to, to try and get that, that edge and that, that leverage. So, you know, my goal when I put these things out, isn't to be the smartest guy in the room. Cause I'm not, and, and that's fine. It's to really start discussions. Even if somebody thinks that what I did is dumb, yeah. Okay, but tell me why you think it's dumb and how can we make it better and, and how does that help you if if you want to go with the anti what Matt Goodwin said in his yeah. his article strategy and that works out for you, then great. Then, then something good came of that. Um, and so it, it, it's, all, it's all about generating discussion and, and trying to to look at things maybe in, in slightly new ways. But it, I don't know. It's a lot like songwriting. You can make yeah. something that's new, but it's not really new. Everybody's used Everybody's the same yeah. the same notes for a long, long time. It's yeah. it's how you put them together, how you string them together, how you present it. You know, it's, um, I don't know. That's kind of where I was coming from with it. No, and it makes a lot of sense. That's why I, I like this topic because um, we, we all do it differently. Like um, I'm in a, I'm in a DC right now for NFC mm-hmm. and it's 15 teams. I've done drafts early a lot a lot of times people are so sharp right now like it is yeah. it is one of the tougher drafts i've been in in december it's december 28th right now like yeah, it is yeah. ridiculous like what is going on <laughs> in there you used to the, the the beauty and there's still some here and there but the beauty of these early drafts is you can find like those little pockets of value or this or that and right it, everyone's on the same page it's yep. just it, it's crazy so you gotta mix and match and you're kind of mentioning you know the, the opportunity costs and everything. And that's why uh, baseball HQ, one of the, the things that I love that they do is they do the Mayberry method. They do Babs where like you look at player a, that was maybe an ADP of 50 at like first base. Well, let's see what, you know, common player profiles they have for first base. So you can get a hundred picks later, 200 picks later. Cause they're out there. Right. And right. there's your, your opportunity costs and then navigating the minefield and plate appearance is a big part about that. And that's why I think it's very interesting. And, and at the same time, I, we've mentioned innings pitch, same theory. And yep. I, I like what you said, you, you and Alexander and maybe just yourself, but I think you said you and Alexander are doing together is not using games played as much as plate appearances. Well, I think that's big because once I started, when I started writing player profiles for draft guides, it was, you really opened your eyes because mm-hmm. a game's play could be a pinch hit. A game's play could be a walk. Right. Like just little things that didn't really impact things is our games play could be a defensive replacement he yes, didn't even get to right. the plate and it skews things a lot and so i mm-hmm. think it's a very good angle so again that's one thing i'm starting to slowly teeter, twist my logic to so it, it's a very good point but um one thing i did want to ask you on this is um how are you using this at least with the steamer projections to like potentially look at drafts when you're drafting with plate appearances yeah so i think it's um, 
it's less about the Tatises of the world. I think he's a good case because he proves the rule, but everybody knows. Everybody knows that he had uh, shoulder issues. Uh, everybody knows he opted not to have surgery in the offseason. And everybody knows that there's a high likelihood it's going to uh, rear its ugly head throughout this season. So does it matter that he might have high plate appearance projections? Probably not. I think a lot of people are already aware of that. Um, and like I said, the the uh, the other numbers that are in that that steamer projection actually look to be pretty on par for what he did last year in in limited plate appearances. Um, I think that the usefulness of this is um, kind of along the lines. I, I just wrote a piece about power too, and I, I called them like mirror players. Where can you go later in draft? Uh, in the draft, uh, whatever it is that you happen to be in a format really matters too. You know, are you going to be able to make trades later on? Are you going to be able to pick guys up off the waiver wire? Because that's going to impact like where, where you want to zig and zag in a draft. So which players um, are really going to make the difference? Um, and, and I think like in, in what I did, you know, guys like Brian Reynolds, Last year was he's a little bit more on the radar now. Like you said, people are sharp, but last year a little bit more of an under the radar, maybe a less sexy name who you can actually kind of pay attention to and see. Like he's gonna he's gonna play a lot. Brian Hayes is projected for a lot of of plate appearances now. In the piece, I kind of walk both sides of the fence, which is a little unfair, and I get that when you're talking about somebody like Tatis or Judge, where those plate appearance projections are seemingly pretty high, and then you go to Cabrian Hayes, Hayes, and they're high, and you're like, oh, great, he's gonna he's gonna play a lot. Well, he might not either, right? I, I, and I understand that, but the idea being, if he does on a team where he's not competing really for playing time, except with his own health, um, there's an there's a, a an opportunity for somebody like that to to really compile those, those um, plate appearances and, and perform um, guys like Ty France and, and Enrique Hernandez, you know, they're, they're, they're not Tatis, but, um, and, and maybe this kind of goes in a different direction than you wanted me to. So I, I pre apologize for that. But when you draft somebody like a Tatis, if you can pair him with somebody uh, else later on in the draft, now you're, you're really bringing up your floor, uh, and mitigating your risk on on drafting somebody who might be hurt uh, because Tatis plus X equals Y, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not Tatis plus zero. It's Tatis plus whoever you else you have to plug in. And, and, that, and that might be a waiver wire player, and that still might be enough. Yep. Um, but if it's not, if it's somebody like, like uh, I, don't, I don't know, like Brian Reynolds, you know, it, in previous years, his, his ADP is probably high enough that that's not a great pairing, but the, the Brian Reynolds of this year, if you can kind of dig through and find that guy and, and pair them together, well, now you've really got something because Tatis plus that player is is definitely a leg up when, when you're talking about taking Tatis where you're going to have to take them. Uh, you're not getting Tatis plus a zero. You're getting Tatis plus somebody else. So that's I, I think that's really where this comes into play. And um, again, it's it's really about what you want to try to accomplish too. Like, are you going pitcher heavy early? Uh, are you trying to fill your infield first and get outfield later? Um, all of those things matter. And that's why, you know, it, it's easy to look at slices. And, and this is where I'm going to be a little vulnerable and, and say, like, I can look at this slice and, and make sense of this slice. But, uh, you know, when it comes time to actually pull the trigger in a draft and make mm -hmm. the right decision or execute, that's, you know, it's str a struggle for me as well uh, because there's just so many things going. You have a, a plan going in and it, it goes awry. You got to be able to adjust and, uh, know that player pool really, really well. So I, I think all of this is 
prep, right? You want to have a plan for these things and you want your plan to be based on something that you believe in. Uh, and if plate appearances is something you believe in, then hopefully this is a little bit of a blueprint to help you go find those guys later on in the draft. I'm with you. And there's, there's a great point you make there with the Tatis and the replacement thing. It's like, I'm not comparing Tatis to like Adelberto Mondesi, but yeah. you know, with Mondesi, if you even get a hundred games from him, um, the production he can give you, and then you replace it with another 50 games worth of plate appearances from somebody else. That's probably still a pretty darn good ball player. Like really darn good yeah, ball right, player. Right. Now it's still, you got to piece it together and I get it. And Tatis is way better than Mondesi, but it's the same idea when people say, okay, this guy's vulnerable. Yes, I get, you don't want to, you know, have to always have a bunch of injured players. I get that. But at the same time, sometimes, you know, the cream, you know, it's worth it (laughs) because he's, he's he's so good that you can, you can fix it when you go. So it's not just, you're losing this guy for the season. It's not a zero. Like you said, so many people kind of portray it that way. But um, like, don't don't get a whole roster of injured players because you can't replace them all. But right, right, you you can definitely pick and choose your battles and grab a couple here and take your chances. There's no no doubt about that. Um, I wanted to uh, I picked uh, some of the guys I was going through the, the steamer projections. I just want to get just for fun your yeah. idea of um, the the number of plate appearances they projected and if you think over or under because we've seen some interesting um, kind of numbers and discussions on these players so far this draft season. So like DJ Lemayhu. He had 679 yep. plate appearances last year. That's the most of his career. Yep. Steamer has him for 690. Over or under. Yeah. I mean, you ha- if you're if you're taking one guy versus the fields, you have to take the field, right? So I you have to go under. I, I don't necessarily think that that means that he's not going to play a lot. Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe he can't do 630, 650 somewhere in that that neighborhood. He might get to 690. It would be a new career high. And everything has to go right. So if you're betting on everything going right uh, over the course of 162 games, uh, I think you have to take the under here. Um, I'm not really, again, I'm not really sure why, why the 690. Um, but I, I don't think that necessarily means that he's not going to contribute and he's not going to have a lot of plate appearances. 690 is a huge number uh, for somebody who's never done it before. And that's the fun part because then you have to kind of – this is where you start projecting like maybe this is what Phil does. He looks at this and he goes, well, this is what I really think he's going to get. And now right. I have to you know, extrapolate the actual potential line and go from there. Sure. Obviously, he's a lot smarter than I am. So he's <laughs> probably got some computer system that does it a yeah, lot I was going to say more. you get a nice little like best fit linear regression or something yeah. that pops out a number that's you know within, within a, a, a certain um, error bar. Or yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of words. I have no idea what you just said, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, let's go to George Springer, guy that's been banged up last year. Um, most career plate appearance he's had is 744 in 2016. Outside of that was 629. Well, Steamer has over 678. What's your thoughts on that one? You know, there's there's been a lot of Twitter talk in in the offseason. And one of the things that goes around and circulates a lot is, you know, which which guy would you love to, if you could just give him an uninjured career, who would it be? And and I actually think Springer would be a really interesting candidate yeah, for that. It would be talented, talented guy, cannot stay healthy. I I don't know how he gets to 678. I honestly don't. Um Again, it's a it's just a really high number. If that's an all things being equal injury free season, sure, maybe. I don't. If you're drafting, I'm, that's how I'm thinking about this, right? If you're drafting him, banking on six seventy eight, I think you are hurting yourself. Um, and, and I just I don't think he's going to get to that level because he's you know he's just banged up a lot. Unfortunately, talented, talented guy, but I think you got to look at him more like Springer and 
who, who am I? If I take Springer, I have to make sure later in, in the draft, I've got a mirror player that I really want to pair him with, uh, not even necessarily just to fill in the gaps, but who may have to carry the load, you know, where Springer is actually kind of the plug-in for that other player. <laughs> uh, and you yeah. get Springer when he's healthy. So I, I'd have to take the under on that one too. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's the one thing I will say is it's harder to get the outfield replacement than the other replacements because it's such a deeper position that's spread out more throughout your league. It's like you played in five outfielder leagues and say it's just 12 yeah. to 60 outfielders. You're starting to to get that pool to shrink quickly compared to let's play, you know, 12 second basements and maybe some corner infields, like 18 second basements. Like you can yeah. mix and match. It gets, it gets interesting. when, when Sure. You're, when you're I mean, it's on draft day. I, I, I think yeah. – that there's probably more likelihood that an outfielder emerges from, from kind of the ether during the year. But if you want to have a plan and you don't want to leave the draft with the, I'll find the next Cedric Mullins, um, then you're right. Absolutely. You know, because they're going to go and you got utility in there too, you know? So, so that's even more, it feels like, yeah. So uh, that pool does dry up quickly on draft day for sure. But you did make a good point there that, um, it seems like if you're going to find a guy that emerges off the waiver wire, you get that outfielder. All of a sudden, the fourth outfielder on a team, a guy gets hurt, and here he is. No one drafted him. So, yeah, right, right. Definitely yeah. more likely. I'm with you there 100%. Uh, let's go to Aaron Judge. This is a fun one because he finally had a healthy year last year, second time in his career. Well, mostly healthy. 148 yep. games, 633 plate appearances. He had 678 back in 2017. Other than that, always banged up. Well, yep. Ste- Steamers got him for 665. This is interesting because he was healthy last yeah. year, but do you believe he does it two years in a row? Yeah, I mean, I'm sounding like a broken record, uh, but I again, this is why I, I put some low. This is why I put some lower ones coming yeah. up here, just because <laughs> yeah, the, the high yeah, ones yeah. are kind of obvious. But I wanted to bring them up for people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, and I think these are the the kind of players that you do want to talk about because uh, their ADP is not always reflective of this, and it's okay to buy in there. I, I, you, you are you are given permission if this is your guy to go draft him where you need to to get him. Please also know what you're going to need to do on the other side to balance that out. Uh, and so I, I have to go under on 665. I think if Aaron Judge gives you 600 plus, it's a great year. Uh, and you have gotten the value from drafting him where you're going to have to take him. I would plan on more like 550. Uh, just from a strategic point of view, not necessarily because I think that's his number or he's guaranteed to get hurt, but I think you have to go in planning for that um, and, and hope that you get 600 plus. And man, if he, if he can give you 660, 670, then you're, you're, you've gotten way more than, than what you, you invested in. And that's great. Standing. Uh, I want to bring up Ian Happ because I guess it's fun because we talked about so far guys that are kind of high up in drafts for the most part. Now you got Ian Happ, who is ADP's climbing because he actually did what he did last year and, you know, right. 535 plate appearances. But he's projected to lead off for the Cubs again. And you're getting them much later in the draft. Kind of what we're talking about earlier is can you find guys here and there? And I'm sure like the batting average could be an issue or whatever. But if we're talking about a leadoff guy for the Cubs that's got some pop, a little bit of steals. And Steamer has him for 634 plate appearances. That might be high. But again, it's kind of the talking point of is this something that interests you based on plate appearances later in the draft kind of idea yeah absolutely Uh, again i think if you're putting down actual dollars on a board bet you've got to take the under but the narrative is different right the team is not as loaded uh at with with players who are blocking opportunity batting leadoff is huge 
Um, and let me clarify real quick. Ortega might lead also hat my ballot like second or third. Sometime. Sure. Okay. Listen, that. just the opportunity yeah. that he might, he's going to hit yeah. in the top three. Okay. Even if we go with the top three, you're going to cycle through that order. Um, the, the uh, potential DH in the NL means that he might be able to kind of take a day off without, without losing plate appearances. Um, you know, it really depends upon whether his role is that solidified and, and what happens if he struggles for the first 20 games, you know, how, how quickly are they going to be to drop him back down, you know, maybe seven, eight. So a hundred more plate appearances this year than last. Uh, again, I, I don't think you want to invest in 634 plate appearances. Um, but I, I think you, this might be a guy that you, again, if he's shooting up boards because of the news, you're not getting value, then maybe not. But this might be one of those guys that you pair with somebody, um, somebody else. And, and hopefully they're not hurt at the same time. If you can get, if you can get decent value and the opportunity cost for Hap isn't terrible and, and you've got Springer and Hap, uh, you know, you, you've got those, those couple of mix and match pieces. Maybe you pick somebody up off the waiver wire. You go really stable with your other, your other outfielders. And, um, hopefully you've put something together, you know? Yep. I'm with you there. That's why quite intriguing when you start looking at the different buckets, as people say of options as throughout the draft, um, sure. this one stood out to me in a big way. I never would have thought this. And then this is why I love these exercises. This is why I'm kind of bringing this up to the listeners that, you know, it might sound kind of weird, but it just kind of spend some time on this and go and stare at Fangrass for a bit. And it, it'll it'll surprise you and kind of open your eyes to some things while you draft. Uh, Starling Marte, monster. Yep. We know it. He runs a lot. We know that. Powers hit and miss at times. Overall, really good fantasy profile. But, you know, I started looking at it and, you know, the you think he'd score a ton of runs. He does, but not as many as you think. Personally, I thought he'd be like a 100 plus guy, just the way he mm-hmm. plays. Not. RBI, is, he's not really an RBI contributor for the most part. Like he really isn't. So you start wondering, okay, what is it Starling Marte brings besides steals? There's stuff, but what really caught my attention, he's not healthy that often. Like, mm. if you count 135 games, he's done that a lot. But, you know, 526 plate appearances last year, really not that much. Like, he exceeded in a big way. So what I wanted to ask you is he's only done it once, two, two times in his career, over 606 plate appearances. Steamer has him for 607. Mm-hmm. does this like well a do you want the over under and does this kind of change your thoughts on maybe starting Marte? are you still like i don't know if you were in on him to begin with but um like people love him because of the steals upside but when you start right. looking at his overall like career profile so it just kind of stood out to me he was not as consistent as you'd think yeah well i think the biggest wild card right now and, and i i actually put in my own notes was yeah. giant shrug emoji he's a new yeah. york met right yeah. so um <laughs> there's a lot of of the narrative that could change stolen bases. This is something that uh, I know Scott White has talked about um, and, and a lot of other people. Stolen bases often come with whether or not you're allowed to even try or are interested in trying. Yep. Um, so you new, new situation, new manager. Um, what are those opportunities even going to look like? That's worth digging into, looking at what Buck Walters' past practice is with, with similar, uh, similar players. Um, and they've got a lot of people it does look like they really want to go with Marte in center and then uh, uh, Canna and Nemo. Um, but they've still got Dom Smith. They've got McNeil. They've got Davis. You know, th- there's, there's a lot of people to try and fit in um, the NL getting the DH might be a really big deal for him getting again, those days off where he still is, is hitting and not losing plate appearances. 
again, 607 really, really feels, uh, feels a little high. Um, it, this is the kind of guy where I would make a bold prediction. If I was going to make a bold prediction for Starling Marte, I would, I would actually say he's, he's finally going to get, get a healthy year. He's going to be really integral to that Mets top of that Mets lineup. And he's going to get 650. Am I drafting for that? You can't, you, you, you simply cannot do that. Um, if he's getting over 600, somebody else is losing time, right? So, you know, when we look at, at Marte, it's not necessarily just about what you can learn about him. It's also, well, where are you now taking Jeff McNeil in, in drafts? So who, who uh, last week, now there's rumors they're going to try to trade him. Yeah, sure. And there's yep. there's time for that to happen, yep. depending upon when this new CBA gets put into place and, and all of the new rules that might come along with that. We don't have any idea what those impacts are. So. Uh, Starling Marte is he's a very interesting player for all of those reasons. You know, steals are so scarce <laughs> that that they really do drive up the price for anybody who might get them. But it's entirely possible he's going to go to the Mets and not even try. Yep, We've seen that's, that happen with players before. So you know, that's the tricky part. And that's why, again, yeah. this exercise is fun because you kind of can break things down besides just looking at, oh, look, he's supposed to, you know, hit, steal 30 bags. But um, Frank Stamfel works with C, uh, Scott White over at CBS. Yep. He tweeted this out the other day. That's why it's it's funny you mentioned the whole will they run, can they run situation. He says, this was more relevant last week, but Buck Showalter managed the Orioles for nine seasons. His team ranked 23rd or lower in steals seven times. The yeah. Orioles were last every year from 2014 to 2017. Does this matter at all, or did, did he lack the personnel? Chicken or the egg syndrome? And I didn't – We. I haven't looked at it. I haven't seen anybody look at it. Was it the personnel per se? Who knows? But I don't know if you can say personnel when it's happened that often. That's a trend to me, but yeah, um, yep. we'll see. And that, again, that could impact your Marte's even Mark Conant who likes to run. Now that might yeah. change things. It, it's interesting. Definitely. And, and you got to see how all of these new pieces for the Mets are going to fit together. And they, they, everything is the moving target there. So I, I think that of all the teams uh, that you're going to want to look at early on in the season, you're going to want to have eyes glued on on what they're doing and how they're setting up lineups and where they're batting people and rotating people through, playing them defensively. Where are they making changes? Are they are are there going to be some guys who are at the top of the lineup but they're out in the seventh uh, because they're they're making a defensive replacement? And there's just so many things that could could go and, and be different. I do want to shout out one, one thing. Austin Bristow over at pitcher list has done some work on a, a metric. He calls S bot, which is about stolen base opportunities. It's fantastic work. Um, and and I, I recommend if that's something that you're really looking for in, in drafts and steals is something you are really focused on either getting out of the way early <laughs> because you hate dealing with it or trying to maximize later by collecting them bits and, and pieces at a time. Uh, it's a good it's, it's a good exercise, a good mental exercise in trying to figure out what those those opportunities are because it's you know everybody's going to the plate trying to hit. They might be trying to do things a little bit differently, but they're all trying to hit the baseball. Uh, not everybody on the base pass is trying to steal a base, and that that really does matter. Let's take a quick break from tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. Let me talk to you about Fantrax.com. It is 2022 and are about a week away, give or take. It's fancy baseball season. That's the bottom line, folks. You're listening to the podcast. You want to play some fancy baseball. We want a third base review, the most boring position. Well, catcher's most boring, but pretty darn close. But you know what isn't boring? 
like I said, Fantrax.com, the most customizable site for fantasy baseball you can find on the market, especially if you're in the Dynasty League's the deepest player pools you can find on the market. It's absolutely amazing. I've been playing at Fantrax for a few years now. I love it. Anything you want to do, any type of format, it's great. If you've never played on Fantrax, bring your league over. They'll take care of it. You'll be upgraded. Great stuff over there. Get to try all the tools Fantrax has to offer. It is absolutely amazing. If you're new to Fantrax, use uh, Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to sign up over there. Get your account. Get going. Try some best balls. Try some drafting holes. Get in there. There's public leagues. There's private leagues. All kinds of stuff at Fantrax.com. It is an absolute blast. Right now, I'm running my Beat Bubba uh, best ball leagues, drafting hole leagues. We're going to do many of these throughout the next month or so. So if you're interested, fill out the forms I tweet out. Come join us if you're new. Fantrax.com backslash Bubba. All kinds of great stuff there, but it gets better. It gets better. He's not a third baseman. He's a shortstop. But if you are new and you use Fantrax.com backslash Bubba, use promo code TATIS, T-A-T-I-S. You know why? You'll be entered to win a free autograph Fernando Tatis Jr. baseball. So check out Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to get your teams going for the 2022 fantasy baseball season. But for now, back to Fenced with Bubba. Yeah, totally understand. Uh, get you there. The last one I want to ask you about real quick is uh, Jesse Winker. This one's intriguing because we finally saw him play a lot before he got hurt late in the season, and he crushed it while he was playing. Um, they have him for 590 plate appearances, 131 games. To me, kind of seems reasonable if he stays healthy, but um, he hasn't done it before. So you, you never know. Right. And in that ballpark, it's like if you say 590 plus, that could be tremendous. So what's your thoughts on that one? Well, I'm going to go with the over, maybe mostly because I so desperately want him to to, to get over. I think I mean, I've been uh, kind of a Jesse Winker fan for for a while, even when he wasn't performing. And, and uh, last year was just really nice to see for him. And, and uh, he's in a great place to hit. Um, again, that potential DH uh, spot coming into the lineup, I think for a guy like Winker, that could be enormous for keeping him on the field. He's got a little ache. He's got a little pain. Okay, you're going to DH today. You're not losing plate appearances, but you're getting a little bit of a, a mental break and a physical break from playing the field. Um, and, there, I mean, there's really not anybody knocking on his door, you know, to, to knock him out of that spot. If he's performing, um, a lot of their uh, their um, young guys in, in the minors, there's, there's not a lot of outfield uh, hype there. Um, you've got, like, Nick Senzel, who is okay. Uh, but I don't think that he's displacing Jesse Winker, especially if Winker's uh, picking up where he left off. So I'm very excited about a Jesse Winker season where he is healthy and, and finally putting things together in that ballpark with an opportunity maybe to DH every now and then and, and stay really healthy and, and perform. And, you know, now he's also got Vado, who seems to be ha- have made a, a significant change in his approach you know, that's fun when you got somebody else on the team and you're pushing each other to, to, to hit bombs and, and uh, score runs. That's fun. And I think that's something that we don't talk about at all when we're, we're analyzing fantasy teams and players is you know, how much are they going to want to be their best selves out there? I don't know about uh, any of the listeners or anybody else out there, but I know that my best days at work are the days where I'm a teacher. The kids are engaged, you know, or, or I, there's something to look forward to. I'm doing with my team. You know, the, when my energy is up or the kids energy is up, that helps me get my energy up. I think the same thing is true in a dugout when you got a bunch of guys who are, are having fun and, and playing together and, um, and doing good things. You see good results when you have teams where they talk, we talk about clubhouse stuff. Um, but it doesn't seem to ever get factored in, you know, when you've got a, a team that's not competing, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not saying that the players are tanking, 
but what's there's a huge difference i think between going out there and wanting to perform because you're going to get back to that dugout and your buddies are going to be you know like the Sox last year i think one that's one of the reasons that they overperformed what a lot of expectations were they were they were having a lot of fun together in that dugout so um i think winker's going to go over 590 um and i think he's going to have have his best season yet i love it and there's yeah the off the field stuff like i told you before the show i'm over a I'm getting it. I've obviously adapted to analytics throughout my time, but I'm a caveman guy where playing the game is, yeah, there's the confidence, there's the mojo, whatever you want to call it going on. Yeah. And you, you see it from players and teams, as you mentioned, uh, in your old and they talked about it flat out. Those guys, they weren't meant to win. They weren't meant to win yeah. a world series, but that <laughs> attitude, that, that enjoyment level goes a long ways. And the reds do have that. Um, we don't need to go deep on this because I want to talk about a few other things, but I think another thing that'll be fun for the plate appearance conversation as the season goes on before we dra- like finish drafting is if they do institute the DH. Yeah. Because that'll obviously up guys not getting the days off. They can get their quote-unquote day off on the DH where you might see Vado DH more. And then maybe that opens Senzel's opportunities because Winker, maybe Winker DHs or Stevens, like Stevenson doesn't catch as much. He goes to first base. That's just a sure. Reds example. There's, right, there's right, a lot right. of ways to kind of see how that goes as well. So it'll be fun. Um, absolutely yep let's talk about the one of your, your other articles uh draft trends early in the nfbc and i'm not going to talk so much as the actual like adp trends as we sure. we've seen because that's an ever-evolving door and it seems yep. to slowly be tightening up as the month of december is is leaving as more and more people are drafting yeah 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 but yep. but what i did want to talk to you about is you, in the article and these are at triple play fantasy trip play though it's not triple play trip play fantasy.com yep. um uh, it's very intriguing because you did a, a part that's fun and this opens up conversations, as you said, if people want to ask you stuff. It, um, and I think the biggest thing when value early is your lessons learned. So you started out with positional strategy, like positional scarcity. We know yeah. third base is kind of shallow, uh, like very, yeah. it's very top heavy. And then it kind of gets like murky. That's the way I best describe it. And the mm-hmm. other reliever pools, relievers are going off the board like crazy. So how are you, sure. how are you um, approaching scarcity? What's your mindset going into drafts coming up here in the next few months? Well, I think this is one of those things where that format is absolutely vital to understand. So if you're going to NFBC, and what I used here were the, the draft champions. Uh, at the time I did it, there had only been nine. Uh, so we're, we're again, to your point, we're talking about very small sample sizes. And, and it was really just to kind of get ideas out there and, and, and look at things that might not apply specifically anymore, but what trends might carry through and why. Um, and so in those formats, you're, you're not making deals and you're not picking people up off waivers. So some of the things you're seeing are like closers going really high. Um, I did write a piece for pitcher list on, on closers um, and in the research there, it, it, it's amazing how few closers year over year stay elite. Uh, so I, I don't have it up in front of me, but it's something like there were, there were maybe like four guys who got uh, above a certain threshold of saves, uh, and were also in the top 10 the previous year, you know, four <laughs> that's, so it's, if you want to, if you want to make sure you have that position solidified in a place where, uh, you know, it's volatile, um, and you're not going to be able to get the guy waivers that nobody saw coming as a closing opportunity he's just going to sit there and nobody's going to get that guy then you got to go early and, and so i think the the thing to look at um is really looking at those those minimum picks um it's it's 
it's hard because all it takes is one person doing something wonky and that minimum pick is going to be really, really skewed, but you can still compare it back to the average and really see like if, if, if you look at the min and the max and the average is, is closer to one side or the other, it gives you an idea at least of how often people are going early. You know, is Hendricks has gone as, as early as the third round. So um, I think as with anything, you need to know what is involved in what you're looking at. What what goes into hard hit rate? If you don't really know and you're just kind of going off of that stat, that's that's fine. If that's where you're at with fantasy baseball and you want to just be able to go in and sort and say this is a useful stat and I know it's a useful stat, that's that's fine. If you really want to be in the know about like how you get there and where it might be flawed, because all stats have that built in. Some some decision was made about what's included and what's not and what the cutoff is and and all of that. Uh, the same thing is true from from these ADP standpoints and ranks as well. You know, if a ranking a ranking system is done for a 15 team NFBC league, you're going to see vastly different things than you are a 10 team Yahoo setup. Bingo. So it's really really important to kind of know what you're looking at. That's kind of what I was I was uh, trying to to bring into this conversation and. You know, I think that there are trends, though, in these leagues. To your point, uh, there's a lot of sharp people drafting now, and a lot of the people who are doing it now are people who are in the know. Um, what are some things that you might be able to get out ahead of in your prep for your home league, whether it's a 15-team or a 10-team? So if you know that, that closers are going super early, well, super early in your league might not be the third round. Yep. But if in, in the past closers kind of uh, break in the sixth round, well, if you want if you want the elite one, you might have to go to the fifth to, to get that guy. And those are the kinds of takeaways I think that are valuable for a more broad kind of application. I think the biggest uh, advantage to using this uh, ADP, especially like you said, if it's your Yahoo League, 10, 12 team, who cares? Um, you can use this. I think it's even better to see a where guys are going like early like you said the trends there but it'll show you kind of this quote-unquote sneakier guys later that your home team guys might not pay attention to i think that's kind of the wheelhouse here because i'm not saying these are the best of the best players these are probably more the knowledgeable players that are playing in dcs that have put the time in at least to do it right um and so you'll get an idea early on of hey maybe i should look at you know player x that's going way earlier than i thought why why is he going this early like let's right. let's check that out and it's very interesting stuff along those lines or hey these four guys are very similar and they're all going pretty close to together maybe i don't have to like push him up i can kind of wait and just get the other guy if he falls similar yeah, stuff like right. that is interesting so it definitely uh changes things up a bit uh you mentioned the catcher position it's a fun one because one catcher leagues it's almost like hmm. Okay, we can sure. you can you can still be aggressive if you want, but they've shown research that the replacement value things are kind of you know interesting. But two catcher leagues, you you kind of, you don't really want to leave the table with with the mess, and it kind of goes back to the plate appearance thing that we've talked about. Is right it, that's what that's what makes a Salvi or a JT or even a Will Smith and these guys so much more valuable. Varsho, like he's not the sexiest of players, but if he plays 140 plus games, that's pretty darn good at catcher because he's going to get a ton of plate appearances. So right. Um, what's your plan of attack for catchers that you're seeing so far? Uh, well, uh, personally, I hate drafting the catcher position. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, uh, it's frustrating. I, I also, I'm not a big fan of two catcher leagues for this very reason. I, so just the, the small philosophical break, I hate the idea of having a position that, you know, is going to be filled by a, and, and, and please forgive me, major league baseball players. You're all very good at the game, but a bad player and it's air yeah. quotes. Um, 
you're you're necessarily going to be filling a spot on your team with a player you would not normally put on your team if not for that second catcher spot. So I'll preface this by saying that's it's not my wheelhouse. Uh, I don't particularly love the catcher position even in one catcher leagues, and I don't play two catcher leagues. Uh, so uh, I, I think that though what you're saying is taking the, the philosophy of what I, I'm talking about with plate appearances and, and looking at that and how it can work. So I would, I would actually, instead of answering this question annoyingly, uh, I'm going to respond with what were the questions that I would want to answer if I'm going into this. So number one, how much more valuable is somebody like a, a Real Muto who's going to play or a Varsho who's, who's got, you know, he can play in different places and that maximizes his plate appearances as one, one catcher. Then I would want to maybe look further down and say, which two catchers can I get that are effectively one good catcher? Yep. Um, and is that going to hurt me? If I can put together one good catcher by combining plate appearances, uh, with with catchers who on their own maybe uh, fall further down the ranks because they're not going to play quite as much, but I'm in a daily lineups league uh, where I can kind of manipulate that. Or you know what? Maybe I just want to be able to drop those two catchers in and and really focus on rotating through my other positions and kind of set that and forget that uh, as best as as I can. Can I do that? And and again, this is not my area of expertise, the catcher position. So I don't want to say it's definitely going to work, but I would, that's the question I would ask. And I think that's, that's maybe the most important takeaway from what I'm trying to do. And it's probably the teacher in me. It'll never, you can never separate the teacher uh, from me. Uh, and that is, what are you curious about? Yeah. What question do you have that you're trying to answer? And, and then what information is going to help you answer that in a meaningful way? And so, um, that those are the questions I would ask. Can I combine two guys that maybe are going to get less plate appearances to be one really solid player and just use those two slots and, and really try and maximize if I'm waiting on catcher in a two catcher league, because I, I think I can do that later. Well, now the rest of my offense is that much better. And that gets to that opportunity cost piece. Who can I get instead of a middle of the road uh, catcher? If I can combine two later on, that's really going to boost my, my middle infield or my outfield spot. Um, and, and how can those numbers that I'm looking at in terms of projections and past performance help me do it a little bit differently so that I don't have to give up getting a guy I really want because man, I, I have to take a catcher right now. Yeah, no, that's, that's the fun of all this. That's the fun of uh, trying yeah. to, 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 to gigantic, some play puzzle piece, a chess game. Like it's a, <laughs> it's a chess game with like sometimes 14 other people. So it's a, it's, right. like, it's not even 3d chess. It's, it's all over the board. And all but, it takes is yeah. one other person in your league with the yeah. same strategy that you have Bingo. to totally screw you up. So, you know, having the opportunity to have your plans B, C, D, to zig yep. and zag as you need to that's really important too and it's like you said earlier everyone's kind of we know all the strategies or most of the strategies so trying to create a new angle is tough so that's why you can see the adp but so many guys people are going to follow that adp where now how can i be different but still you know roadmap the situation i've seen some really good work on it lately people discussing it uh jenny butler great nfbc player mm -hmm. she came out with an article about um basically she has um uh, you know, A goes to B goes to C, but she has like four different philosophies on how to start out her draft. And it, it was really cool to see how she game plans. She puts a ton of work into it. And that's why she's successful. Right. But, um, it's like the opening moves yeah. in chess, right? Exactly. You know, like if my she opponent does this, out, I'm going to do that. And I know how to move all these pieces around and uh, like yeah. a flow chart, you know, yeah. if A, then B, then C, flow chart. Then D. That was the word yeah. I was looking for. Yes. That yeah. was the one, but um, <laughs> she's, she's good at that. Ryan Bloomfield's talked about it before. Like, 
focusing on the certain spots. It's, it's, it's a very good thing to do that you can't just go in and go, okay, I want to get, you know, Tatis in the first. I want to get a pitcher in the second. Well, what are you doing around 12, 13, and 14 to make right. those picks worth it? It's, you got to kind of game plan the whole situation. That's, it goes like starting pitching used to fly off the board super early. So far this year, it's kind of early, but not as bad because it feels super deep. That can change. Um, you know, you mentioned the closers. It's a great point. DCs is different because you have no fab. It, I guarantee you when we start getting more, you know, fab leagues, it's going to change a ton. Uh, you're going to yeah. see yep. there still will be guys going early, but I'm not to the insanity that it is now. And it's been hard for me to even adapt still to this moment while I'm doing it because it's not <laughs> my brain to do that. But um, last but not least, what do you do when you're looking for opportunity costs? And it kind of coincides with um, kind of doing more research on things you might not feel comfortable with, not guys, players you might not know. I think it's a great point because when I'm trying to look to do content, it's like, like we said, everyone's doing good content. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'll look at an ADP board and I start like 200 plus thinking, okay, what guys down here do I have questions about that other people might have questions about? Let's dig in and find out if it's even worth my time. Right. Um, so how do you go about stuff like that? Uh, answering those questions for yourself. Uh, you know, I, I think this is another one of those places where there's a, a line between being an analyst and being a player and, yep. and people like Vlad Sedler who can do both. Uh, it's a, a, unbelievable because being a good player doesn't mean you're good at analyzing and, and explaining um, and, and being good at analyzing slices of information and, and following an idea down a rabbit hole doesn't mean you're going to necessarily execute your your plan well or, you know, you have your weaknesses as a player, too. Uh, for a long, long time, I, I've been kind of the shiny new toy guy, you know, like I'm going to drop this. I'm going to drop the Kyle Seeger to get the rookie because I, I have to beat my my buddies to the wire. And it was a huge mistake because that rookie didn't pan out. Yeah, I got him. Great. But now I don't have Seeger who's, you know, helping not you know, not recently, but, you know, years ago, helping out a lot in, in less less notable ways. So um, I think that is really what what you have to be good at is also reflecting on yourself as a player and your strengths, your weaknesses, your propensities, where you are, are sometimes where you struggle. And like, I really want to do this. I really have to get this guy on my team and I'm just going to take him early. And that's where that opportunity cost really fits in. So I, I found an example that I think highlights what we're talking about. It's not necessarily with unknown players. Um, but I do think that it, it kind of shows it, it's like proves the rule. And then you can apply this later on in your drafts as well. Um, Cody Bellinger going into to 2022 uh, right now on, on an FBC, he's going uh, around a hundred. I think it's one Oh two. He's either going to super outperform that or super underperform that. I, I think, I, I don't think. And when you look at projection systems, sometimes they do the same thing. They'll take like <laughs> the, the floor and the ceiling and split the difference. And on a player where, where he's not really going to hit is the average of his performances. He's going to be really good or really bad. So do you want to take him at 102? Is that a fair spot to take Cody Bellinger? Maybe. Maybe that's fine for you. But you're taking him instead of Winker, who's mm-hmm. who's coming after. You're taking him instead of Varsho. So depending upon your strategy, you're taking him instead of Hanniger. Maybe even J.D. Martinez, who's going a few picks before him, falls. So now what, what you're, you're doing is you can, you can look at that and say, okay, the risk and the reward at 102 in a vacuum is worth it to me, but you're not drafting in a vacuum. Yep. So do you want Cody Bellinger with the potential of 
being, you know, maybe a league winner or, or like really hamstring you in the season? Or do you want to take Varsho and his, his value at, at his position and his positional eligibility? Do you want to take Winker who could have uh you know, a top 10 season? I think, I really think that's possible for him. Yep. Uh, and his floor is certainly a lot higher <laughs> than Bellinger. Um, JD Martinez, who's going to go out there and be a workhorse for you. And, you know, you can kind of set and forget as long as he's healthy. That is where I think this sort of thing is really, really important. You got to ask yourself the question, you know, who do I want? How am I building my team? Where can I, where can I afford to take the risks where I want to? And if I do, how do I then balance that out later on? Uh, So you need to be in a a part of your draft where you don't need Winker. You don't need Varsho. You don't need Hanniger and you don't need JD Martinez so that you can take the chance on Cody Bellinger. I'm not sure how I constructed that draft that I don't need any of those guys at that, at that point. That's the tricky part. That's why I, I know it might be a a weakness of mine from time to time, but I think it's also something that works for me is I'll take my risk later in drafts. Like Mm -hmm. let me get my stability going and then I'll, then I'll take my chances. It's tougher and tougher these days. Like you mentioned, the shiny toys and uh, you got Bobby Witts going top 100 yeah. now, which you can see the appeal. Like I totally can, but yeah. I mean, I you want to talk about questions. a spread. I mean, right. I looked at it right before well, we got on today and his, his min pick right now is 36 and his max is 123. His yeah. average is 90, 90 and a half, 91. That's crazy. So, crazy. I mean, thir- the 36th, pick i mean again all it takes is one person doing that and 90 the average of 90 suggests that that's more of the outlier um but even if you're if you're investing in him at 70 or 80 there's a huge opportunity cost could that pay off could you have the the next mike trout you know coming up and and you get to have bragging rights and feel really good about where you picked him absolutely could it take him three four months to get in the groove could he come up and and have a a kelnick type start Absolutely. Definitely. And and what, what have you lost on the flip side? If you're taking him at, at 36, the opportunity cost there is enormous. You you're paying for his potential and maybe even more than that as a, as a rookie. So uh, I, I think it's, it's just, you have to really, you can't think about every pick in isolation. You have to think about them as a chain reaction of choices, each one having an impact on the next. And the further along in drafts you go, the more you kind of, pigeonhole yourself into i gotta fill this spot i i need to make sure i have this guy I gotta balance out this category um so having a plan and, and that's where i i think i i just don't dig deeply enough into a full out like whiteboard session uh flow chart plan going into a draft and uh, i kind of have to do things on the fly and and when you do it that way i can tell you from experience you're missing out you're missing out on maximizing that value yep maximizing the value and obviously you know, the season's a long season, so a lot's going to change, and you have to do a lot of waiver wire work and everything. But the draft is a huge part. It isn't the end-all, be-all, but it's a huge part. So kind of prepping for it. And one thing I would suggest is it's fun because I do it too is, you know, I tweet out, you know, these are the picks I just made, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd recommend if you're, watch, if you're following an analyst that does this because they all do it, um, see their entire draft. And then mm-hmm. go look at the draft board afterwards and see why they might have had to bob or weave because you'll see why they filled out they did and maybe they, you know, I'm guilty of it, made a few hiccups here and there or sure. maybe there was a, a method of the madness as well. So definitely enjoy and, it, and, but look at the whole picture. 
Right. And and listen, all people, this is this isn't a knock on analysts. This is all people. They're going to show you what they're most proud of way more often yep. than they're going to show you their mistakes. And it's again, it's not because they're trying to hide it. It's just the way we are. Um, it's the same thing with Facebook posting and Instagram posts. People are putting out these images of themselves that are them at their happiest. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at that and say, well, everything about them is perfect and everything about me is messed up. Well, now you're doing yourself a disservice and it's true, whether it's, it's life or whether it's, it's fantasy baseball. So you, you know, you, you have to contextualize. And I think that's really important. You know, if you see somebody and you think that they had a really great turn, um, see if you can and get access to what the first part of that draft looked like, because that might have been a really great turn because somebody fell who's never, ever going to fall in any other draft. And of course they made those picks. It's the, the context matters a ton. And, uh, and I think that's a very, very good point. Uh, last but not least is your recent article. that just dropped, uh, I believe yesterday as we recorded. Yep. Um, and it, in, it involves like the prolific power profiles and, yeah. Basically, you, you you dug into things besides just hey, let's look at uh, let's look at guys hit home runs, but you did the, you know the hard yeah. hit per plate appearance, home runs, home runs per plate appearance, RBIs, strikeouts, and and, and more and more as you, as you looked at it, what um, what made you pick these statistics to use, and what were you trying to find while you used them? It's a great question. So I was thinking when you're drafting for power, what are the other categ- categorical? I don't know if that's the right word in that, that situation, but what are the impacts on the other categories? Um, and when you're drafting somebody with power, you, you really want them to not strike out a ton. Uh, it doesn't matter as much in Roto, but those are lost opportunities, right? To put the ball in play. So you don't want huge strikeout rates because it does have a negative impact on opportunity. Um, if you're in a points league, that matters a lot uh, because you're losing points for those strikeouts uh, and you want RBIs. So, um, Hard hit is is an important statistic when you're talking about people who are power hitters. Uh, I have to give all the credit to to this thought process to to my co-host there, Alexander Chase, um, and how he talks about setting hard hit rate over plate appearances and how much more um, descriptive that is in understanding what's going on. Uh, I got some flack uh, for not doing it over at bats because. When you do over plate appearances, guys like Juan Soto tend to get get hurt a little bit because they walk so much. Uh, but again, this is about power. It's not about on base. It's not about the whole picture of the player. And and really, again, it's less about identifying that Juan Soto is good at baseball, which is something we all know, and more those mirror players. So if I use these categories and I can identify somebody who is similar in their profile to Tatis or to Soto or to somebody else, that might be something I can put into my plan. If I can get them a hundred picks later, 150 picks later, whatever, 50 picks later, that, that might be a place where, okay, so instead of Tatis, I'm going to go with this other person who's going to help me with a category that I don't want to have to deal with later on. And in 50 picks, I can get 85% of that production and, and move things around again. I, there are people out there who are way better at putting those different pieces together in a draft strategy than me. And I fully admit that. But I was trying to find a way to not just look at one isolated thing. And I, I, I think what's nice about doing it is each one of these kind of had a cutoff and it takes a, a long list of players and it kind of drills it down to a shorter list of manageable players that you can look at and then use them to go find other players you might be interested in compare. Is this person just outside the window? Um, you know, who's close, who's not, why? 
it's not a uh, necessarily about answering every question that could possibly be out there for every format uh, and, and what every player is going to need drafting power. It's more about here's an, a new ish kind of way of doing this and looking at this. Here are the players that came out of this system that, that I, you know, kind of ran them through and let's talk about that. So I only used the 132 qualified hitters from fan graphs for 2021. And I ran some statistical uh, analysis at, at my level, not at Alexander's level, at my level. <laughs> and uh, so for home runs, I, I didn't do a standard deviation. I picked 25. I think if you're looking for power, you want somebody who's hitting 25 plus home runs. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys who hit 15 to 20. So um, I, I wanted to make sure that I, I, I I included people 25 uh, home runs or more. And then for the other four categories, I really did. I looked at a standard deviation above the mean for those 132 players. And that was the cutoff. So people who are, are outperforming the rest of that 132 player pool by a standard deviation. Um, and I think it, it definitely yielded some interesting results. Now I, I put them into tiers, which maybe gives the impression of skill. And I tried very hard in the piece to say, that's not what this is. Um, I couldn't really think of a, a better way maybe to, to describe it and put it in there, but I, I think it still gets at the point I'm trying to get at. Um, so, you know, if you look at uh, some of the people who come out of it, Avisel Garcia uh, mm-hmm. stands out. That's a person who might, who might really be a draft value. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, again, his name shows up a lot. Now he comes with his own set of maybe injury uh, concerns, but combine this with his plate appearance projections and, uh, you know, role and opportunity, and and maybe there's somebody you want to to target uh, at, at the value. Uh, it shows Goldschmidt still got it. You know, yeah. um, uh, somebody like Teoscar Hernandez, I, Matt Olson, I think might be one of the most undervalued known commodities out there. I think that where he's going, especially if he gets out of Oakland, if he winds up traded to a a much better situation, there's tremendous room for value there. So again, it, it's it's more, I, I know it doesn't really sound like the goal, but I, I, I'm trying to like maybe generate more questions and discussion than maybe answer questions. But if I can do a little bit of that legwork and say, this is what I did, very transparent about how I did it. You can go do this yourself with fan graphs and where you think I messed up, you can do it differently. Well, then I think I've done my job. I, I really do. I think yeah. I've gotten people engaged in the process, maybe build a little bit of capacity and how to use these things and um, if somebody wants to go back and recreate what I did using at bats instead of hard hit per plate appearance and see the difference and how it comes out differently, please do. And, and you know what, tweet it to me. Let, let me see what those results are. I think that those conversations are really useful and really helpful. And mm-hmm. every system, everybody out there, like I said before, you're always baking in something that's going to undervalue or overvalue somebody somewhere on the edges and the, and, and the extremes. And so when you fix it for those players, you, you break it for somebody else. Um, that's why I thought it was really important to be transparent with my process uh, on this one. I love it. And it, it's a, it's a deep dive. Well, not, I, I want people to look at it and go read it. Um, Cause it, it's really interesting. And you mentioned some of the names that pop up like Nick Castellanos is in tier one. Like we know he's yeah. good, but that should stand out to people. Like, like he's actually really, really good. Once things get yeah. to clicking, uh, Joey Votto still has it, as you mentioned yep. earlier. So that's that's intriguing for sure. I love the Abbas Garcia. Love Josh Bell there too. I does yep. still gets underappreciated. Um, but then you have like the long list, and obviously they're not in all the tiers because of like the low home run totals or whatever. But I think it's interesting if you are looking for like potential sleepers or you're trying to differentiate. When you just look at your long list, there's like a couple names that 
maybe they click, maybe they stop hitting so many ground balls or they start doing something different. But you got the Alex Verdugos, you got the, you know, Yuli Gurriel's getting older. He's done it once, probably won't do it again. You never know. But um, like Lourdes Gurriel's on here. Um, mm-hmm. Ahmed Rosario, Ben Intendi, these guys that aren't world beaters, but they're on the list showing that they are still pretty darn good hitters. Just maybe they're not transferring to home runs as much, but they're sure. doing the other thing. So it just, it, it's, we've seen it so many times that like one slight tweak could result in like a massive season not saying it's going to happen but like there's a bunch of guys on this list that you could see kind of potentially pop type thing well and that's kind of the the hope is that that doing stuff like this you identify the next guy who who's maybe his numbers don't look like he's a a small adjustment away from being really really good uh either for the first time or again um but when you look at it this way, it, it will make more sense if one of these players does kind of kind of pop. Um, and, and I very, very clearly put in in the piece, and I think this is also very important, that these are descriptive uh, analyses. This is talking about what already happened. It has it, the correlation between what happened last year and next year, uh, just on a general level, is, is it's more coincidental than it is causal in a lot of cases. So it's it's not a make sure you you sell out to draft these guys kind of list it's it's a be aware of where these players are and how they performed um you know hard hit rate is great but as you said it could be guys hitting the ball super hard straight into the ground that's not going to create production so how do you pair that maybe with some launch angle data or exit velocity or barrel rates? You know, there's so many of these statistics. If you try and put 10, 12, 13 of these things into a system, now you're, you're, you're compounding the, the white noise of each into, into this huge thing. Uh, and then you're kind of right back to just go look at steamer. They do it really well, you know, wait for the bad X to come out. That's a great system. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. So um, trying to figure out what am I trying to answer? What questions do I have? Which statistics do I believe in uh, are, are useful to try and answer those questions and, and put it together and, and, you know, steal, steal my process and change it to be what you want it to be. I think that's, that's huge. That's one of the things I want to do is uh, as somebody who came into this, never doing this kind of thing for myself, I want more people like me when I was playing five, six years ago, just looking at ESPN ranks and and then making gut calls. I want people like that to feel like, okay, fan graphs is for me and I can go here and do this with it. I can go to the savant page and, you know, maybe all I've ever looked at is the sliders and I've never thought about, well, are those sliders really telling me what I need to know to answer the question I have? And if not, how can I do that? And the beautiful thing of there being so many really good analysts, really smart people out there doing this work is that so many of them are receptive to your questions on Twitter. Yep. Go look. And if you get stuck, ask any one of them and you'll get an answer at some point from somebody who's going to give you a suggestion on, on how to, to, you know, maybe do that a little bit better or, or really zero in on what it is that you're trying to, to look for and do. And the more you are, independently searching and seeking out this information, the less you're relying on the interpretations and the flaws and the weaknesses of the other people who are doing it. And we all have them. And on top of it, we're all doing it for different situations, you know, 12 team five by five Roto ranks versus 15 team NFBC ranks versus 
uh, you know, 10 team points league ranks with two catchers and one catcher and two utility spots and one utility spot, it changes the landscape immensely when you start changing all those variables. So you can customize what you're doing to your league settings. The more you can do that, the better off you'll be. You know your league better than anybody out there on the internet uh, because it's your league. It's, it's, it's totally true. It's great, great advice there because I ask people all the time. Ask Alex Fast how many times I've slid into his, his DMs to ask questions <laughs> on things. Like, I'm always learning. There's so many things on baseball savant. I do not know how to find still to this day. Like, there's, it, it's, there's sure. so much good stuff out there, but I, I get how it can be intimidating too. And it make is. people yes. want to like, but ask questions. Like, there's so many cool things out there and um, people are receptive. And the, the one thing I've said that'll make you a better player, the easiest thing you can do, potent, like, I think easiest thing I, I'm going to say is start making your own rankings. Now, how you mm-hmm. want to make those is up to you. How deep do you want to dive to make those? Up to you. But I think once you start trusting your senior research, besides, like you said, just going to ESPN and clicking on the numbers, you'll already become a better player. Because even if it's just by position, yep, that's all I do. If, if I don't do it. I don't yeah. do an overall. I just do positions because it it yeah. kind of for me it, it's more of a bucket. Okay, well this position is thinning out quickly. Like let's start maybe readapting on right. the fly what we got to do right. here. Um, that'd be my number one thing I've told people for years figure that part of it out yeah ranks and uh, tiers are huge yep most definitely but um everybody check out matt's work at tripplayfantasy.com again awesome stuff there pitcher list we'll get to plugging everything in a minute but i have one listener question for you because our boy the vithius dave swan came through as usual with uh, another one he asked as you are the boston red sox fan and i'm curious to this answer too because i've been drafting one of them and then i draft another one in a different league who is yep. going to lead Boston in saves? So if I had to go out on a limb and pick a horse, I would probably say Barnes winds up with that role again and winds up with more saves. So, but more is not necessarily for the fan for fantasy purposes uh, better because I have a very strong suspicion that this is going to be a little bit of a back and forth, maybe even situational. Um, it really depends upon how Cora wants to manage that. Uh, generally speaking, we weren't talking just about the Red Sox and we're talking about arms. Uh, and I did a setup piece too for, um, for, for triple play talking about some of these guys who don't have the closer role, but are good pitchers. I would always default to the best arm in the bullpen. Um, the closer role is so volatile. Um, as I hinted at earlier, there are so few guys who have the role and keep the role and perform in the role year over year. Um, that having, if you haven't gotten one of those top four or five guys, you don't necessarily want to get the four and a half ERA 14 save guy because yeah, those saves are helpful, but they could really blow you up, especially if you're playing in a, uh, a head to head format, because you're not talking about a season long situation where you can kind of smooth out those edges. They could blow up an entire week for you. Um, so there's a balance there as well. So I would, I would always suggest go with the better arm. I think Barnes is more of a strikeout guy. That's what you really want in that late inning role. Um, the other one who's actually in roster resource right now, their depth chart slotted in at closer is Whitlock. Um, these are the kinds of situations that as a drafter, you you hate, you have to hate them because (laughs) You don't, I mean, you, you, you could be right on either one of them. You could be wrong on both of them. They could each wind up with, you know, 14 saves and a couple other guys pick up a few more here and there. You don't have anybody with 20, 20 plus saves in that, that bullpen. 
Um, well, because of that, you're probably getting them a little later on. Uh, so I, I know this is not the answer that, that you want, like, go get this guy. Um, if I was going to put my money on who has more, like I said, I think it would be Barnes. Um, but is there a world in which, uh, he's, he's just not, not commanding, uh, and not performing and Whitlock gets that spot. Absolutely. 100% there is. So, um, I don't know. It's fence sitting. I always tell my students they're not allowed, not allowed to fence sit and I just fence sat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with I'm with you though. Like I've been grabbing Barnes of late, but like er, like my first two, I think I went Whitlock because I loved what I saw from him, and I think he might mm-hmm. be the better overall thing like option. But I'm with you, Barnes, quote unquote, has the job already. Or he proved he could have the job and the strikeout stuff's pretty legit. So I'm with you there. We have one more question. Someone dropped into the chat. He's uh, I believe Pitcherless is his name. Nick Pollock has a question oh, for you. Hi, Nick. Yeah, he said oh, question. Great. From He's going to embarrass me now. No, that's actually a very nice one. <laughs> what is your favorite article you've written? Oh, that's a fantastic uh, question. Thank you, Nick, for giving me an opportunity to showcase. Um, you know, I I really like the pieces where I get to explore, uh, especially at Pitcher List, more of the baseball side of things and really dig into, um, you know, the first thing I ever wrote was about Theo Epstein and, and like, his grandfather like wrote Casablanca. It's cool stuff. You know, you, you, you make these connections and, and he's like a, in my opinion, a first ballot hall of fame general manager with what he did with those two franchises. So um, those are fun to do. Um, I, I have to say, and it's a little bit of a somber note to end, but um, unfortunately Red Sox nation lost Jerry Remy this, this past year uh, fairly recently. And um, I felt very compelled to, write something that honored his memory and, and his role in, in the lives of Red Sox fans. I mean, he's been there as long as I've been a Red Sox fan and I'm, I'm certainly no spring chicken. So um, it's, it's weird sometimes when, when people, when you famous people uh, pass away, how connected you can feel to somebody you never met or never knew. But Jerry Remy was a big, big part of my Red Sox fandom for a long time going back, watching games with my dad, who I have also unfortunately lost. Um, so there's a lot of emotion there. And I, I felt like I really wanted to write something to, to honor him and to show him as a whole person. You know, he had a lot of off the field stuff. He went through fighting cancer. His son uh, committed a, a pretty horrific crime and, and trying to, to you know process that and talk about that and, and trying to honor him, his memory, what he meant to Red Sox fans, to Red Sox Nation, to me personally. Um, and I, I'm pretty proud of that piece. Uh, I think that it, I I did what I set out to accomplish with that one. That's awesome. That that's that's good stuff. Actually, that's really good writing. It's not a fancy thing. And I think one thing, like uh, you said, you you prefer you didn't prefer, but your favorite stuff is the baseball stuff. Well, I think most of us got like I told people I started this podcast because I was like talking about baseball. It didn't even start out as a fantasy show. The first like ten episodes, it was just my first show was me and a Dodger guy, Brockton sponsored, talking Giants Dodgers. So yeah, I, I totally get what you're <laughs> saying, but. Um, you mentioned like you didn't really know the guy or anything, but the the sign of a good broadcaster is they are kind of friends and family. Like you've listened to for so long, and it's kind of um, not funny, but it's interesting you said that because uh, I was with my dad a couple days ago before Christmas, and we were talking about uh, Kuiper for the Giants. You know, he's battling cancer. He had to take time off this year, and Truco's got his things. We both just started telling stories about those guys because we've listened to them so many times about like they're going to be gone soon. Like who can replace these guys? You can't replace yeah. them. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about. So I think it's awesome that you wrote that article and I, I totally get where you're coming from 
it's a different type of a uh, type of deal. So that's 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 good stuff. That's really really good. Fantasy baseball can wait for that. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. But on that note, Nick Pollock likes to bring everything to a very emotional spot on this thing. So we're going to wrap things up here real quick. So um, once again, plug all your stuff, your podcast, where they can find your written work, all that good stuff. So I, uh, I write at Pitcher List and Triple Play Fantasy. Pitcher List is PitcherList.com. Um, triple Play Fantasy is, as you said, TripPlayFantasy.com. Uh, I have a podcast on the Pitcher List podcast network that I do with Alexander Chase. Uh, you can find the show at Dugout Study Hall on Twitter. You can find Alexander at Chase underscore Rate on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter at The Corked Matt. Um, I think that's. I think that covers all the bases. That's a lot, like a lot a of moving parts. Lot, lot right going on. That's a guy that's, that's, that sounds like a guy that hosts a podcast right there. He had it all <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yes, yes, we have done some episodes of Dugout Study Hall. Yep. Yep, most definitely. But I appreciate you joining me. A lot of fun. A lot of uh, good discussion. I hope kind of opens people's mind to uh, delving into the process for themselves, maybe, and finding things out that kind of you know don't not just taking a, a set of numbers for granted. Kind of see why those numbers exist and if they're right or wrong, which is good. So um, I appreciate you joining me, Matt, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot, lot of fun. A lot of fun. No problem at all. Again, everybody, make sure you follow him on Twitter at DCorkedMatt and all his great content at PitcherList.com, Triple Play Fantasy, and the wonderful Pitcher List Podcast Network with uh, the Dugout Study Hall. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 424. Catch you guys next time. better with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards. That's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.